Yeah, that's the last time I'm like making notes for him for his sermon. <laughs> I now understand what that I'm signing up for. Does this sound okay? Good? Okay, perfect. Also, and it's ended up being a good thing that I'm preaching. I didn't realize we were going to have a boy band today, so we needed to like <laughs> level out the playing field a little bit. So glad it worked out. But yeah, like Casey said, we've just been talking a lot about, um, yeah, what series to do next after this Root series. Um, in some ways, that series was born from conversations we were having in small groups and meetings with people and just so many people not feeling close to God. And so So many people were comparing their relationship with God to when they were in college, when they had way more time on their hands to be a part of everything. Small groups, studying the Bible with students, meeting with a mentor, going to big meeting groups, going to theology classes, and having evangelism and outreach opportunities scheduled for them. So that series was really supposed to get us thinking about, one, what is our standard to closeness with God, and two, what we can do about it now. What things is Christ calling us to do and to lay down in order to walk closely with him? So now that we've solved all those problems, we were asking ourselves, what's next? And I think when I feel disconnected to God, I was, I was telling my small group, about once a year I have this like crisis of like, what if we missed it? Like, what if we're supposed to live in Africa and we're the Pharisees and I'm supposed to sell our TV and just like go on and on as Casey looks at me like I'm crazy. But what really does help me when I just kind of feel disconnected and worried or whatever, is to look back on, like, what can I point to in my life that I just know without a doubt that that was God, that he's real, that he's working, that he's moving in seasons of doubt. I may not feel or see him right now, but I can look back and undoubtedly know that this was him moving and working. Maybe you're in a dry season today where you can't see or feel God. You've forgotten what it feels like for God to speak or for God to move in your life. Maybe you're in a season of suffering or where you're looking around at the world suffering and are asking yourself, where could God be right now? How could he let this happen? Why is he letting this happen? Or maybe you're here and you've never had a personal relationship with God. Maybe this is the first time exploring this and wondering who God is and why you would want a relationship with him. I'm praying this series is a reflection of what happened in Joshua 4. Joshua told them to carry 12 stones when Israel passed the Jordan on the dry ground. Joshua 4.21 tells us, When your children ask their fathers in time to come, what do these stones mean? Then you shall let your children know. Israel passed over this Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan for you until you passed over. As the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, which he dried up for us until we passed over, so that all the people of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty, that you may fear the Lord your God forever. We asked this question in small group this week, where have you seen God moving and working where you know without a doubt that this was him? One story that I always think about is when I was applying for my child life internships. It's a really competitive field because not all children's hospitals offer them and if they do, they offer to maybe one or maybe three students max. So hundreds upon hundreds apply and interview and then on the same date each semester, they call and make offers. It's a national date and deadline, so they all do it on the exact same day. So when the offer day came, I was spending time with my mom just trying not to think about if I was going to get called or if not. And we were getting a pedicure probably by like noon. And I'm just like in my pedicure chair weeping, like knowing like if they were going to call, they were like it would have already happened. I'm sure the people were very freaked out about whatever was happening for me emotionally that day. Which again, like that's pretty normal. Most people, it takes multiple tries to get their internship, but it's still really disappointing. 
because <clears throat> now you have to figure out, like, what am I going to do for the next three months? How many times can I do this? How long are Mark and Sini going to let me live with them for free? Uh, so it's still just kind of really hard to process that. Um, and before this moment, I had given myself a lot of speeches. Uh, you know you felt God calling you to this field. What's a few hard years and disappointing moments to end up in your dream job? But those speeches were a lot easier to give myself when I wasn't staring at rejection. Later that day, I remember my dad telling me, like, you never know, maybe they're going to call you tomorrow. And I was so annoyed with him, because I'm like, it's a national deadline. Like, national, they're not calling tomorrow. It's, it's over for me. Like, maybe in three months, but today it is over for me. Um, so a week goes by, and I get a call from a children's hospital in Houston. It was a pretty funny conversation, because they were like, what are you up to? Did you, you know, accept any internships? And I was also like, what am I doing here? Um, can, confused about, do I need to do something different? Okay. Um, wondering, like, what's wrong with you guys if you're just now making this phone call? But come to find out, the Association of Child Life had put out a deadline for the next year of, like, we're switching the deadlines for whatever year it was, and they just thought it was for this year, and so they missed the deadline. And so after, yeah, us kind of both asking questions of each other, they called me back the next day and offered me their internship for that semester. And of course, my mom didn't answer her phone, my sisters didn't answer the phone, like my dad answered the phone. <laughs> and I'm like crying on the phone of relief, I'm like, I got it, I got it. And I just remember him telling me like, God, you can't put God in a box. He does not work on your deadlines or your timelines, even if it seems like national or something. And it, that was just such a, a marker moment for me of like, God is so much bigger than this. Like, yes, he, God is still good if I didn't get it then, but I was such a a lesson in trust of knowing like God is going to far exceed my expectations. So a few weeks later I packed my bags and I moved to Houston. Um, it's an unpaid internship and through some like friend of a friend of a friend, some family let me live with them for free, which was another God story. And when I finished my internship, everyone told me expect it to take one to two years to get a job and be willing to move anywhere for the first two years while you gain some experience. At the time, I was pretty seriously dating Casey, who I thought I would marry, who was co-pastoring in Wiley. So I was like, he's not going anywhere. So that wasn't as much of an option for me about being willing to move anywhere. So I applied here at Children's Dallas for just like a weekend job, anything to get my foot in the door. And I interviewed for the first interview, and then they told me like, you'll hear back either way, and I never heard anything. So I just like stalked them. I'm like, I don't care if it's a no, but like get back to me. Like I just want to know. But come to find out after the fact, right after my first interview, they went on a hiring freeze. And so they weren't interviewing anyone. Um, but about a month or two later, they called me for a second interview. And this time while I was in the interview, I realized I was interviewing for a full-time position in oncology. I was over the moon excited, but also wanted to know, like, did you guys make a mistake? Y'all know <laughs> this is not like who you thought I was at first, because that position is definitely not for some new grad with no experience. But here I was not long after my internship and was offered my absolute dream job, only God. Students would ask me and still ask me, like, how did you get it? How did you get these connections? And usually I, like, try to play it cool until I figure out, like, where are you at spiritually? But I'm like, I don't know what you think, but it's only God. Like, I wish I had better answers or advice for you on what to do, but there's literally no way other than, like, God made this happen, and I can't take any credit for it at all. When I look back on that season, I think of the passage in Exodus 17. After Israel defeats Amalek, 
Moses built an altar and named it, The Lord is My Banner. Maybe you don't have a story like this, or maybe you're in such a dry season that you can't even remember a story if you tried. When we asked that question in small group this week, where have you seen God moving? Someone honestly answered, I can't think of anything. I mean, I'm sure he has, I just really can't remember anything right now. So maybe you need God to remind you, or maybe you need the people in your life to pray and to beg God to reveal himself to you. For me, that season I look back on, the Lord is my banner, wasn't all open doors and highs with God. It was a lot of ups and downs. Around the same time I started pursuing child life, I was diagnosed with POTS. I lived at the doctor's, they tried to figure out what was going on, and then I lived at the doctor once they found out what was going on just to try to get some help to function. During my internship, I would go straight from work to an infusion center and get hooked up to an IV two days a week to try to make it. And even though I knew God opened that door, every day I was like the Israelites, questioning what he was doing and why he was doing it. I physically felt so bad, I was constantly wanting to quit. That whole season, I felt like God was saying, wait for the miracle. The Israelites didn't think or know I was going to part the sea for them. Wait for me to part it. Don't miss out on what I'm doing. And when I was at my lowest physically, I absolutely couldn't see what God could be doing. I was too tired to do anything with friends, family, and ministry. My life felt like it served no purpose. I remember just laying in bed being like, I can't do anything. I can't do anything for the kingdom. Like, why? What could the purpose in this be? I couldn't fathom God was working. It was those times I had to look at other people's lives, the way Mark and Sini and their kids loved me in that season, the way my parents went all across the country to help find answers and treatment options, and once I got married, the ways Casey has sacrificed and served me. I couldn't see Jesus in my own life, but I could absolutely see Jesus in theirs. I'm not sure where I got this quote from, but I saved it in my notes and thought it was really powerful. You might trace the story of Joseph and all the pain he went through and see how God was providentially weaving wonders amidst the ashes of his life. You might trace the story of Joseph and all the pain he went through and see how God was providentially weaving wonders amidst the ashes of his life. But maybe you're in a place where you still can't see God in your own life or in anyone's lives around you. Allie brought up in small group recently that she was reading through the Psalms about how God rescues his people, but she's looking at the people she works with who are going through incredibly traumatic and horrific things and wondering if and how God is rescuing them. Wrestling with that and then asking our small group what we thought. No one really had the answer outside of maybe them not being rescued this side of heaven. John Piper has a sermon on suffering that has been very impactful to me over the years. He talks about our suffering not being meaningless. He says, not only is all your affliction momentary, not only is all your affliction light in comparison to eternity and the glory there, but all of it is totally meaningful. 2 Corinthians 4.17 says, Our light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory. Every millisecond of your pain from fallen nature or fallen man, every millisecond of your misery in the path of obedience is producing a peculiar glory you will get because of that suffering. It wasn't meaningless. It isn't meaningless. I don't care if it was cancer or criticism. I don't care if it was slander or sickness. It wasn't meaningless because 2 Corinthians 2, 4 through 17 says that my light, momentary, lifelong, total affliction is doing something. It's doing something for me. Of course you can't see what it's doing. That's the main unseen thing in 2 Corinthians 4.18 is talking about. 
What's the unseen you're supposed to look at? You're supposed to look at the promise of God in verse 17 that says your pain is doing something for you. You can't see it. You can't feel it. Either you see it with the eyes of faith and believe it because the text says it or you lose heart. It will feel meaningless. That is why verse 18 says don't look at what is seen. Don't look to what is seen. He says when your mom dies, when your kid dies, when you get cancer at 40, when a car careens into the sidewalk and takes her out, don't say that this is meaningless. It's not. It's working for you an eternal weight of glory. Therefore, therefore, do not lose heart. But take these truths and day by day focus on them. Preach them to yourself every morning. Get alone with God and preach his word into your mind until your heart sings with confidence that you are new and you are cared for. That was the mantra I lived on when I was in Houston. Get alone with God and preach his word into your mind until your heart sings with confidence that you are new and cared for. So that's my prayer today and for this series, that we would get alone with God, that we would preach his word in our mind until it moves into our hearts, that our lives would sing with confidence that we're new and cared for, that we would be confident in who God is and what he's doing and that he sees us and he sees our pain. I want us to look back to remind ourselves and to those around us what God has showed up. Thousands of years ago, he showed up. 20 years ago, he showed up. And he can do it again. He is doing it again. We just need the reminders and the eyes to see. When that person in our small group shared, of like, I just really can't remember right now. I was like, okay, well, we're all going to pray that this week God does show up for you. And I think that's what we have to do for each other. Of like, you're in a dark season. God brought me through this. Like, here's how I can remind you of these truths over and over again when we can't see. So I encourage you to get alone this week. Think back across the years and write down the moments you saw God act. The moments of grace, the times you witnessed his faithfulness, the things he protected you from, the times the Holy Spirit prompted you to act or speak and it didn't make sense until you obeyed, the time you came to faith and started a new life, the time he opened a door you thought was closed, the time he used you to bring someone else to faith in spite of everything within you knowing weren't qualified or equipped to be in that position, the undeserved gifts he has given and the prayers that he's answered. In fact, I'd like to take a few minutes right now just to reflect on that. Luke's going to come up and play some music, and I want you to think back over the seasons of your life. But if you're here today, uh, someone who doesn't consider themselves a Christian, or you're not sure what you think about God, that's okay. I'd like to invite you to spend these next few minutes reflecting on what you're grateful for. Our ability to love is proportionate to our sense of gratitude. So these short times of reflection can be a huge blessing to ourselves and the people in our lives. And if you are a Christian, I'd like you to think back over the seasons of your life and ask the question, what has God done? What has he done that can serve as a marker for my faith? What has he done that can anchor me in the midst of suffering or even just in the midst of life's monotony? Spend the next few minutes reflecting on that and take notes if you like, and then Casey's going to come up and do communion for us.